0: No, I think that's beautifully stated and absolutely right. I think that's what this author is intending. He is taking a risk here in speaking this way, but his he so loves this community and desires for them to grow and to not fall away that he's willing to take this risk. And the Spirit, that's, the spirit will use this document, like if we only ever preach the prodigal son or Peter's denial and restoration, then that may not be what all people at all times in their lives need to hear. And so the Spirit has given us these texts to to preach them.
1: Hey everybody, today on the show we have part two, the second half of our conversation with Gerald Hestand and Amy Peeler on Hebrews and preaching and teaching and theological interpretation in the local church. If you didn't catch part one of this conversation, I encourage you to go back and give that a listen. It's the episode immediately previous to this one. But without further ado, let's get right back where we left off in our conversation on Hebrews.
0: So, Gerald, you ask generally, how do I attack these. If I were preaching through it, that's a little bit more challenging because mm-hmm. in a in a setting of a, a an adult ed class, you can kind of get them to read the, the text and see what's going on. In preaching, you have to be, be a bit more artful in doing that. But I do ask them to pay attention to what kind of sin is he talking about here in 6, 10, and 12. So I like to emphasize that these are warnings. This is not dogma doctrine for someone that's already walked away. This is the author saying, if you turn away from this, I cannot guarantee that there is there is in fact no other salvation. So it's not yet happened to them. He wants to present to them if they are lax in their faith, as it says in chapter five, you need to awaken to what you hold, and there is no guarantee that you could just come in and out. Now the harder question is theologically then what do we do with people who have walked away and want to come back. Well, the church has decided, based on other canonical text, that there is a place for repentance and penance and a return. Uh, and Hebrews is not the only ver- voice, but is an important voice to say if people are getting a little bit loose, this calls them attention that the beauty and the superiority of Christ you cannot treat lightly.
2: Mm,
3: mm. Yeah, and I think the the, um, the the questions with the warning passage is you have sort of the the behind the curtain. Like, what does this mean? And anyone that's either going to teach it or preach it has to figure out theologically how they want to work that together with eternal security or perseverance of the saints or, you know, but then there's the actual preaching of it. And it's how much do you try to work out sort of the the theological synthesis or the, you know, answering the questions that come as you begin to preach it with just straight preaching it, right? Because you can spend, you know, 20 minutes of a sermon trying to, you know, Figure out how to put the you know the garment together in a seamless way where you can kind of hold all these things together, or you can just preach the text as it stands, and leave some of the discomfort and the unanswered questions. And what has been been your approach to that, Gerald? And
2: and and is and is your approach informed by a your own theological convictions on the question of perseverance, eternal security, and b the congregation to which you're preaching and there it to generalize their theological convictions. How do you put those three pieces together? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think you, and I then think Amy, you, I would love to hear you reflect on that as well.
3: Right. No. And I, so if we just put my cards on the table, I don't think you can have a doctrine of eternal security without a doctrine of perseverance. So I think those two have to be held together. Yes. Right. So that would be my starting like theological frame. Um, and if I was teaching to a congregation... But you do affirm perseverance of the saints. I affirm perseverance sense. of yes, the saints, yes. right? And I also affirm eternal security. Yes. But, but as those... As understood. Yeah. As a, uh, through, through, the, through, the through the lens of perseverance, perseverance of yes. the saints, yeah. And so if I was teaching to a congregation that already had a category in their mind for the possibility of falling away and apostatizing unto damnation, then I, then in some ways the text doesn't present problems that need to be solved at that point, Right. But my congregation is coming from a tradition where they would affirm a doctrine of eternal security, but not a doctrine of perseverance of the saints. So uh, you, you're eternally secure regardless of whether you persevere. Yeah. That's that's the framework the, for – One saved, always saved. One saved, always saved. No right? matter what you do. no matter, Even if because you apostatize. Because the, the grace of God yeah. is so – Gratuity, it, it really what it is, is I think, I mean, in, in the kind of the places that I've read this logic, it's, it's, it's like an aberrant form of, of like appropriation of the reformed doctrine of justification where um, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you to cover all of your sins, even the future sin of apostasy. And therefore your future sin of apostasy is covered under Christ's righteousness. And so you could go on to be a, you know, an atheist or a Muslim or whatever, it wouldn't matter. You're, you're still in, right? So it's a, so. So when you're preaching to that kind of a congregation, right, and then the warning passages really just their uh, their st- struggles because they don't mm. fit that theological frame, right? And so, rhetorically, they don't sound right no, given and, that and theological that's, frame. And so then here's where I think you, as a preacher, for me to just preach the passages straight, so many of my congregation will have so many red flags that go up; they won't be able to hear. The exhortation because they'll be lost in the but wait 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 this they will say disaster
2: you think we can lose our salvation right. and so they,
3: and so they they just they hit a roadblock and you can't get to the exhortation
1: so you getting more into the systematics as it were is almost like a contextualization yeah. for your congregation
3: yeah so I would generally try to avoid the sort of like theological synthesis. In the context of a sermon, because I feel like that distracts from the the homiletical point you 're trying to make. right because, but, yeah. but right when 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 not making that clear is going to be a barrier to getting to the homiletical point, then I think you have to you have to take some time out kind of parenthetically, let me try to put these together, let me say you know i know you 're coming from this angle, but you know here 's how we 're going to have to think about these things and hold them together and and then go on to the uh, to preach in the warning passage itself.
1: But ideally, sorry, ideally, it seems like what you're saying is that you kind of want the biblical, theological, illocutionary, homiletical point, however you want to define that. Ideally, you want that to just come straight out of the specific text that you're in and to the congregation without these filters. But sometimes you need to yeah. kind of bring some more theological, whole Bible, biblical background. Yeah, that, I think that's, I think that's, that's right. communicated effectively.
3: I think that's right. Yeah. Well,
0: it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, that Hebrews could really be helpful in your context then. So if people hold mm. eternal security, but not perseverance, that seems like precisely maybe assuming. what this Absolutely, audience yeah. believed as well, maybe. Well, I can kind of do whatever I want. And so Hebrews in this intensity comes along and says, you need to persevere toward yeah. maturity. Yeah. And and these are the consequences if you don't. And again, this author is saying it's hard to know his mind. It's impossible to know his mind, but I think he at least is holding forth the possibility. I don't know what will happen if you turn away, yes. and so that's a wake up call. And and maybe could be for your congregation as well. Although I'm glad I don't have to face the the hardness of preaching this, and you do. But um, sounds like that yeah,
3: no, can be I I think that's exactly right. And I think I mean this is you know. In this case, it's the issue of of uh, you know eternal security and perseverance. Mm-hmm. But I think just generally speaking, um, anytime you're engaging in a text that's going to challenge the mm-hmm. assumptions of right. your congregation, uh, there is there's this tension of because the because in this case Hebrews doesn't feel the tension of yes. like eternal security versus perseverance, right? It's just it's just moving forward, right? And so you have to kind of pause bring your, your, your Mm -hmm. congregation along to that point. And I even said though, this, I think it was two Sundays ago, I preached through uh, Hebrews three and all the warnings that are implicit there. And, and I I did my best to try to, without spending, you know, a 45 minute lecture, (laughs) you know, talking about eternal security and perseverance, but try to summarize uh, how these need to be held together. But then said at the end of the day, whether you can figure out how to put these together theologically or not, like here's the text you have to listen to and, um, and don't let your kind of theological commitments or your, your, you know, your theological presuppositions negate what is clearly the admonition and warning of this text. Right. So if you read Hebrews three and you come away with, I don't really know what he's saying there, but I'm sure he's not saying that it really matters if I persevere, right. You've just misread the entire text. Right. Uh So, it's um it's letting the the weight and the intensity of these texts kind of fall upon us yeah. and sit upon us have and, their and, intended rhetorical yeah, effect right and and maybe you can't resolve yeah some of these things neatly in a sermon, but it still needs to sit on people, and then they can send you emails on Monday and <laughs> complain about you know whatever you didn't say properly or whatever so, you can explain it then so
2: note to self, if you're planning on preaching through the book of Hebrews, you need to do due diligence to the warning passages, are there other? major exegetical issues to get to, I, I wanna get your, I wanna, yeah,
3: your head around I want to invite a conversation still in the warning passages because I think yeah, they sure. can be some of the from a preacher's side, I think they can be some of the most uh challenging and maybe I'm thinking of it just coming from my own frame, realizing that these texts are challenging. But um but I have I've and Amy here i would invite your comments too on this, but um the way that the passages work rhetorically to me, I take the warning passages, um, and here I would follow uh, Tom Schreiner. Are you familiar oh, with? Mm-hmm. How, okay, so that the warning passages um, are the means by which God perseveres His people. So, so there is there is a there is an efficacious nature to the warning passages themselves, right?
2: And the sacrament of warning passages. Yeah, almost right. I, I, I yeah. knew you were going to go there. Too, you know, right? and
3: and um, and what that means as a preacher then, like if I don't preach the yes. warning passages as warning passages, then I am withholding holding the, with the means by which someone might persevere. Yes. So just briefly to recount the story, it wasn't in preaching Hebrews, but I was uh, doing some counseling in, in our congregation with a, with a couple. And the, the, the dear woman had, you know, just had a really troubled past and was going through a season of just serial infidelity and uh, just very destructive. And, um, and her husband was sticking it out with her, trying to put it all together. But it was just, obviously, you can imagine it was very tough. And I met with the couple and I and I said to the to the lady, I said, well, what is your, what's your plan? Because she wasn't consciously denying Christ. You know, she she said that she still was a Christian. And she said, well, I just... I'm, this was kind
2: of a free grace run amok sort it was. of framework. She, what
3: she said was, I'm just, I don't know how to change. I'm just going to follow this path down until it kills me so I can have peace and go to heaven. And I said, you know um indulging the flesh unrestrained is not the way to enter the kingdom of god and then mm-hmm. i showed her some text in uh, paul right. you know, i went to paul yeah okay. and um and then about 3 months later she you know she had by god's grace had come around to a different spot but 3 months later we were talking and she said you know the the, the that warning mm-hmm. like pulled me up short because mm-hmm. i i was going to give up and just kind of slide into heaven as it were but realizing that that may not actually work, like has forced me to like keep trying, you know? And so I think you have to, you have to own the warning passages and let them do their work, you know, in people's life and not, you know, not, not be heavy handed or ham fisted with them, but you have to let them preach. It's
2: interesting. The... She didn't come back and say, "Well, I was reading three books on the doctrine of perseverance, and I've kind of changed my mind on these things." That's not the way it worked. Kind of top down theologically Mm -hmm. for this person. No, it was just because
3: because that's just not who she was, and she wasn't going to do that. It was just there were there's too many texts in uh, the New Testament. I mean, throughout the scriptures that just lay out that kind of ultimatum. I mean, Hebrews is, of course, not the only place in the New Testament Precisely. that you're going to find these kind of warning passages. Exactly. I mean, Jesus has all sorts of things to say as well, right? So um, we don't do any favors to our people or to the people of God if we kind of just pull our punches a little bit on, yes. these, on these passages and don't let them do their work. Hey, everybody, just wanted to announce a new partnership
1: here at the CPT that we're beginning with AM 1160. The radio station here in Chicago. And we are very excited to announce that this podcast content is going to be featured on the radio beginning May 12 2019. If you'd like to listen there, you can tune in at 130pm on Sundays, we're going to be premiering new episodes there. And then the following day, they'll be live on the podcast. Really excited for this partnership and hope that this will mean a lot more people can get access to this content. So be sure to tune in to AM 1160s once again Sundays at 1:30 p.m. All right, let's get right back into our conversation with Amy Peeler and Gerald Hestand on the interpretation of the Book of Hebrews as well as preaching in the local church.
0: No, I think that's beautifully stated and absolutely right. I think that's what this author is intending. He absolutely, is taking a yeah. risk here mm-hmm. in speaking good- this way, but his he so loves this community right. and desires for them to grow and to not fall away that he's willing to take this risk. And the, spir- that's, the Spirit that's will use it- this document. Like if we only ever preach the prodigal son or Peter's denial and restoration, right, then yeah. that may not be what all people at all yes. times in their lives need to hear. And so the Spirit has given us these texts to to preach them. I'm really and struck
2: by and I was really yeah. struck by that. The author has taken a risk. I've never heard anybody put it that way. That's a wonderful picture that just, just sort of changed my mind because I think you think of the author of Hebrews as like, he's just laying it on thick and he's kind of loving the shock therapy, right? <laughs> but the, taking the risk out of love for this community that he has a sense of responsibility for, that's just a great... And that maps out so well to the heart and intention, I think, of a preacher and you know, what a preacher ought to embody mm-hmm. as a preacher preaches through this book. That's no, And, and, great, and, that's and great. to lean
3: into the warning passages, you know, as a preacher, you do feel the risk of it, right? Yeah. Because it's just so much easier to hold out the, the kind of the carrot side of Hebrews and not bring in the stick side of Hebrews. But Amy, I really liked what you the your point that you made that, you know, after these warning passages, you you know, Um, you have these kind of, the author's affirmation of his belief in the people though. Right. Right? So we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who persevere. Exactly. And and that, like I'm even thinking like as a parent, right, like if if all you do with your kids is like, you better, you better, you better, or else, or else, right, it it conveys this sense of like doubt. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you're going to really make it. And it's hard to, as a kid, grow up with this sense of like your parents kind of doubt that you're going to pull it off. But, The kind of naive parent that's like all just rainbows and roses, you know, like as though there's no potential consequences for bad action, right? Like that's not good parenting. But that kind of parenting that's like, you know, if you don't study, you're gonna fail, mm. but I know you can do it. Yes. but I know you can do it. <laughs> yes. You're bright, you know. I believe in you. Like yes. those those two things held together. Right? And I what's encouraging?
2: I, I often found okay, with yeah. preaching where you would come up to a text and you needed to preach the text for what the text was doing, and, but you felt like theologically, I need to counter. I need a counterbalance to this mm. message, the message of this text. But it's great. It's a great reminder that the balance, so to speak, is in the Book of Hebrews itself. Yeah, I think the temptation. Particularly coming from a perseverance sort of framework, is to just go you, to the
1: go to the gospel of John and Yeah, that's right. Set. That's
2: right. Use a kind of theological framework to no one's balance out, out these texts as opposed to letting the text itself bring that balanced yeah. perspective. Do you, and you and agree that's why with that? it seems
0: to me your decision to preach through it is so important. Yes. Because sure. this is a tightly woven argument. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in my own tradition of now lectionary preaching we get a lot of the atonement passages Mm. at particular parts of the church year but i think to do due diligence to these warning passages that's where the balance comes is Mm -hmm. you now week in and week out will kind of lead people through this account of yes he has these intense warnings but that's not the end Mm -hmm. um and he still has faith in this community Mm. yeah
2: yeah, been, what are some of the main theological issues to grapple with? We talked a little bit about some of the exegetical challenges with the book of Hebrews. What are the theological issues or, or maybe themes that that are especially relevant to preaching the book of Hebrews?
3: One thing I'll say is I I, I appreciate in particular the way that Hebrews frames up the relationship between faith and works. Mm. And... um you know, particularly if you you come to that primarily through a Pauline lens when faith is always set in opposition to works hmm. of the law. And so you have this hmm. kind of tension between faith and works. But in Hebrews faith and works are just, they're just extensions. It's just, it's the incarnation of faith, right? I mean, yes. works are the incarnation of faith and disobedience is the incarnation of, of lack a lack of, of, faith, of belief, right? Exactly. exactly. You know, and so you just have these, you know, these play, I mean, thinking even in here at the end of Hebrews three, which I just uh, preached last uh, week and then into Hebrews four, but you know, Hebrews three nineteen, they were unable to enter into God's rest because of unbelief, uh, but then you read up in, uh, four, six. So therefore they were not able to enter because of disobedience. So it's kind of like, well, which is it? Is it unbelief or disobedience? It's like, well, yeah, exactly. It's they that they're the same thing. Yeah. Right. And faith, I think so often is framed up in some evangelical circles, maybe a lot of evangelical circles as something that looks back to Christ's atoning work, right? So do you believe in Jesus I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again, you know, and it's, I I believe he's forgiven my sins. It's always looking in the be, in the rearview mirror. Whereas I think Hebrews is so eschatologically oriented, right? It's the promised land. It's the rest out ahead of us. We're in the wilderness. We're wandering, we're journeying towards it, right? And so faith is, like we said at the beginning, it's confidence in God's faithfulness to make good on his promise. So it has to look forward. And if I believe that, that there is a land of rest ahead and Christ is my great high priest who is getting me there, then I endure the difficulties of the present because I'm confident of God's reward at the at the end of it, right? So it's not just a looking back, it's a it's a looking forward. So faith and faith and works I find that's, it's that's a refreshing uh, Hebrews offers a, a refreshing perspective on that. And
2: it's one of the things, Gerald, isn't it, that creates heartburn for preachers and congregants when mm. they encounter the book of Hebrews is how closely connected yeah. faith and works are. Yeah, yeah,
3: years. and and I think if you keep faith as, I mean, and this isn't going to be quite right, for the ease of this, you, you kind of have like a Pauline backward-looking view of faith, and I don't think that's fair to Paul, but just you've got you faith juxtapositioned against works of the law, and you have that frame of faith, and then you bring that into Hebrews, which has a forward-looking eschatological view, and then you try to figure out the relationship between huh. faith and obedience, that gets a little bit right. that gets a little tricky. But if you take faith as Hebrews talks about faith, uh, that re- which I think then you can find that theologically all throughout the entire scriptures, right. I mean, not just even in Hebrews. That, I think,
2: just sheds a lot of light on that's, the way that, that obedience uh, works. Amy, for you, theological themes. The fatherhood of God in the book of Hebrews, of course.
0: Right. Yeah. So I I just want to first affirm what Gerald is saying. I think this call toward forward forward movement is maybe another element at which I really resonate with Hebrews, the race metaphor, the keeping one's vision on Jesus ahead. It's about maturity. It's about growing. I think that's actually why the Christology is heavy on his Self offering and sacrifice, which is necessitated on the cross. But where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of the Father, Uh, seated, making intercession for us, pleading on our behalf, bringing us to the land of God's rest. So the Christology is also much focused on. What is Jesus doing in priestly ministry now for us that I find incredibly helpful? And theologically has become a really rich discussion in Hebrews and other places on the current work of Christ. So that is the toggle point that then I would say another thing that I'd like to emphasize with those listening to Hebrews is the beauty of the divine relationship that's laid Mm. out here. So the kind of classic high Christological text in the New Testament, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. And I think there's a way in which to preach that, to remind people of the provocative nature of these proclamations in their setting, to kind of get them to the place of, wow, my confessing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit every week is not just kind of boring and vanilla. That shook people's worlds at this time Mm. and the way in which he shows the sovereignty of Christ and his humanity. I mean, the diptych of one and two, the the early church that we really cannot do Christology without Hebrews. I think that's how it gets in the canon, even though they don't know who writes it, right? They must, it is so woven into the regular fide that they cannot do without it. And and then the human part connecting to, he has rescued us from the, the fear of death death, who's uh, Lord or who has control the devil himself, this, this sense of humanity being imprisoned and he's come to release us. Uh, that I think is an important place that people would kind of immediately connect with the sympathetic nature of his priesthood.
2: Marvelous. So resources, let's, let's talk just briefly here at the end of our conversation about resources, recommended resources, Amy and Gerald, commentaries that are helpful, monographs, um, Maybe something on the warning passages in particular, given that the, they're such a significant feature of the book. I mentioned already the um,
3: Tom Schreiner's The Race Set Before Us, uh, I think is the name of... That's yes, uh, on the it, warning
1: passages broadly yes. in the New Testament. That's not just Hebrews. Right,
3: but I've found that that way of thinking about the warning passages is was very helpful for As me the as means a, of salvation yeah, approach, yeah. And that's great. a
1: reformed approach, but kind of... Uh, a self-critical reformed approach. Yeah, because there's a
3: way that sometimes from a reformed perspective, you treat the warning passages as hypothetical. You know, like these really can't happen, but if it did happen, this is what would happen. And then I feel like that somewhat downgrades the intensity of what's being communicated. Whereas if you handle the passages as a means of perseverance, it is God's Divinely ordained means of grace that enables yes. you to persevere by letting you know what would happen if you didn't persevere. That's helpful. Um, so anyway, Tom Schreiner's got uh, a book on that. And that's that, great. That's helpful. And then he also has, and Todd, you may know what's this? He has a, like more of a like a smaller abridged version. You of know, that. I
2: don't know. The, I, I'm a big fan of the of the larger. Yeah, he's got a smaller sure one with Ardell yeah. Yeah,
3: but the smaller one would be good if you are preaching through Hebrews or some other passage with some significant warning passages, the smaller one you could give to your congregants, and it would kind of give them a frame for understanding. I'll look that that up and we'll put it in the the show notes. So we'll have it there.
0: Yeah, for those who are doing studies, so this is probably not you're going to preach directly from these, but... Harold Attridge's Hermenia commentary is still the grandfather of modern Hebrew studies. And I think rightly so because you have such rich resources to all the parallels and conversations this author might have been having with other literature. So that would be a good one, I think, to have on the shelf. That's great. For aid toward preaching, I've liked for a very long time Luke Timothy's Johnson's more canonical theological mm, yeah. approach to Hebrews and D. D. Stevens Long's treatment in the Brazos commentary okay. series is also very good, I think. Uh, there is a four views book on the warning passages in Hebrews. So Can you that find that helpful? You, it's, it's an interest. it's a good invitation yeah. starting point to yeah. be oriented to the different types of conversations, though this one that he's mentioning by Schreiner sounds even more helpful. Um So those are texts that I often go to and recommend for good kind of both theological and backgrounds Mm -hmm. rootedness in Hebrews. There's an Understanding the Book of Hebrews by Hebrew scholar Ken Skank, which is a nice brief overview of the structure. And actually the book that I just mentioned, um, Inventing Hebrews – by Jason Whitlark. And, um, it, it is a great overview of the structure. I thought to myself several times, I would put this in the hand of students to just okay. say, here's a great, uh, big picture of what's going on in this text.
2: That's great. Gerald, you're preaching through Hebrews now, as, as we've mentioned, and you have given the sermon series title, give us the sermon series title. And then I'm going to put dr peeler on the spot and ask mm. her if she was to preach for the book of hebrews what and, and, her, what, and her what her sermon. title would be oh, wow. so oh, okay. amy you have about 30 seconds to prepare. okay <laughs> uh the uh
3: the title that we came up with in collaboration as a staff so this isn't uh, you're isn't, not going to take full
1: <laughs> no you know no our um, our. Um, i do hear you say this fairly regularly gerald what's and that I, well when we say the title i don't want to give give it away oh
3: yeah well the title is steady on yes finding strength in the book of hebrews and so the focus is um it's on perseverance right that is it is how do we persevere in the faith um yeah amy
0: so I am not well-versed in catchy titles. <laughs> this is not a demand of my academic life. <laughs>
2: yes, right.
0: I think I would go with that phrase that I've already mentioned, the one who promised his faithful, from 1023. Uh,
1: hey, that's that's as catchy that sounds pretty as good. anything, I, I would say.
2: Marvelous conversation. We hope that this is helpful to you as a listener, uh, intriguing, encouraging, and certainly if you're teaching or preaching your way through the book of Hebrews, you find this a helpful resource. Amy, thank you so much for... Uh, not only being on the podcast, but for your ministry, your life, and uh, so, uh, and your friendship. So glad so. to be a
0: part of CPT. Grateful,
2: thank grateful. You. Gerald, thank you as always. Yep.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicker. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.